answer to you each and every day. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, thank you so much for being with us today, whether you're uh, here present uh, with us and, or joining us online. We're, we're so, so grateful uh, to have you. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter number one. Deuteronomy chapter number one. So it's, it's been four months. Uh, it was the second Sunday of September uh, that our family became a part of Plymouth Community Church. So it's been four months and, man, in some ways, it's hard to believe that it's already been four months. Like, wow, we've been here for four months. And, and yet, in, in other ways, it's hard to believe that it's only been four months. Like, I mean, there's just been so many things the Lord has, uh, has done in my own heart and that we've been able uh, to see together and celebrate together as a church that it's, man, it seems like, wow, it's really only been four months. And I, I just want to tell you how grateful uh, I am to be a part of this faith family. Uh, you all are special, and uh, thank you for letting me uh, be a part of it. I told you when I arrived four months ago that the first book of the Bible that we were going to go through together would be Deuteronomy, and uh, it has taken me a lot longer than I assumed it would for us to get started uh, on this book, but I felt like it was so vital, and it was, it was such a, there's such an important understanding to realize why we have the book of Deuteronomy in the form that we do. Right? I mean, like, if we go back to Exodus, which we spent a lot of time right there parked at Mount Sinai, understanding that what took place between Yahweh and his people was far more than just giving the law, but it was a marriage covenant between the groom, Yahweh, and the bride, Israel, and this desire that Yahweh said, I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God, and these are the terms of the agreement. And that's kind of that's where we were for, for a long time, just really setting the foundation for uh, what we're going to be in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to tell you up front, we're, we're barely going to get into it. We're going to get through verse 5 and 6, and that's all we're going to get to today. I don't plan to go that slow uh, most weeks, otherwise we would be here for like 10 years. Uh, but we're just setting a bit more of a foundation uh, today for uh, what we're going to, to go through. Because, well, while we're skipping, we're, we're, we, we left Exodus uh, where the tabernacle was built, if you remember. Now we're skipping Leviticus. I thought, that were, I thought there might be a few cheers uh, in there. You know, uh, we're, we're skipping Leviticus. And, and Leviticus is where all of the, so many of these, these laws of the priests and sacrifices and, and measurements were given in specific holy laws. And, and although we're skipping over it, we, we can't skip over the purpose, right? The purpose was it wasn't just a bunch of random thoughts that God had to say, hey, live like this and live like this and do this and, and don't do this. Here's what we have to understand, right? He wants to be their God. He wants them to be his people. And so most of Leviticus is saying you're going to be different than you were in Egypt and you're going to be different than, you, than the people where you're going in Canaan. And why do they need to be so different? Because there were other gods in Egypt. And there are other gods in the place where they're going in Canaan. And Yahweh is saying, I'm going to be your God. That's why we see crazy stuff like don't plant two seeds of, don't plant two different types of seeds in the same ground, in the, in the same hole in the ground when you, when you, when you go to plant your harvest. I mean, what? 
It's why we see stuff like don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. Yeah, I, no, no worries on that one, Lord. You know, I'm not going to be doing that. But the idea is as they were going into Canaan, they were going to see a different culture because people did plant two different types of seeds in the same hole, trying to appeal to gods that they would have a bountiful harvest. And they, they would boil a baby goat in its mother's milk to appease the gods for a fertile crop that year. And what Yahweh was teaching them through these strange to us laws, but not strange to the culture laws, was I am the creator. I am the one who made the earth, the skies, the heavens. I am the one who's going to give you an abundance of crops. You do not need to turn to these other gods. This is the same thing that why we see the, the craziness of, well, you can't touch or eat a pig. Right? It's because pigs were associated with the netherworld, with, with, with demons in hell. I mean, if you, if you think when Jesus walked on the earth and he came across a man named Legion and he, he's going to cast out these demons, where did the demons ask if they could go? Well, into a herd of pigs that was associated with demonic activity. Now, today, we don't have to worry about that because Jesus has given his followers authority over demons. So we can have bacon whenever we want. Amen to that, right? <laughs> so we skip Leviticus, but there's a purpose behind it. We're skipping numbers. And numbers, I'd love to go through because it's so crucial for us to understand what's taking place in Deuteronomy. Because the people who just made this covenant with Yahweh, hey, I'll be your, you'll, be my, you'll be our God, you will be our God, we will be your people. They just made this covenant with him. Now they leave Sinai where that covenant was made and they begin to walk toward their dwelling place, toward their home. But what we find in the book of Numbers is that right as they get to the threshold of the door, and you understand the threshold, right? If I step over the threshold, I'm inside the house. As they get to the threshold of the promised land, it's a, it's a place called Kadesh Barnea. They say, we're going to send out 10 spies, and they, or 12 spies, and they send out 12 spies, and these 12 spies come back, and these 12 spies say, man, it's a beautiful place, but like, it is filled with giants, and we're going to die if we go there. We can't do it. And all of the people agree with these 10 spies who say, don't go, while there's two trying to say, we can do this. These 10 spies convince the people to say no. And when the people say no, what we read in Numbers is they say, we want to go back to Egypt. Yeah, think what that means. We don't want you to be our God anymore. We don't want you to be, we don't want to be your people. We want to go back to the way life was before we even met you. Send us back to Egypt. And they're looking to break the covenant at the threshold of the dwelling place that God had prepared for them. But God had made a covenant. I'm going to be your people. And God had made a covenant. I'm going to give this land to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and his descendants. So God is not going to break his end of the covenant. But what he says is, you're not going to go into the land. You won't. But your descendants will. But you won't. Boy, 
as we read, as we read Deuteronomy, we realize these are the children and grandchildren of the people who made the covenant with Yahweh. They're going to get the land and their moms and dads don't. But there's one other thing that takes place in Numbers that we have to keep at the forefront of our mind as we go through the book of Deuteronomy. And, and we'll get to it at some point, but Moses acts in a way, and it's really hard to understand, but Moses acts in a way where God says, and you won't go to the promised land either. Ah! The man that was called from far away to go into the land of Egypt to to confront Pharaoh, to to stand up to the people who didn't want to go, and he finally leads them. He gets them across the Red Sea. He gets them into the wilderness. The man is falling down. The, The people get to Sinai. Moses goes to the top. He sees the glory of the Lord. He receives the laws. He comes down. He leads the people. They're going, and then they say no, and Moses is tasked with carrying them through the wilderness for 40 years, and at some point, Moses grows so frustrated that he acts in a way that is dishonoring to Yahweh, and he's now has said, and you won't go either. Okay, we have to keep that in our mind as we go through Deuteronomy, because here's what we know. Moses didn't give up on the people when he could have. You think of a man like King Saul later on in the Old Testament. When Saul was told by the prophet Samuel, your kingdom is going to come to an end, what did Saul do? He immediately went after the one who was coming behind him, knowing it was David. He tried to kill him. He tried to do everything that he could to take out, and he stopped leading the people rightly. Moses doesn't. Moses knows I'm not going in, but Moses begins to pour his life into a man named Joshua who's going to lead Israel into the land. And we see this book of Deuteronomy is three speeches that this man who knows I'm not going to get to enjoy all that you're going to get to enjoy. And to be honest, you're probably at the root of why, but it's bigger than me and it's bigger than you. It's about our God. And so Moses delivers these three speeches. And I love that because in Moses, we get this glimpse of of the person of Jesus. Because let's be honest, we can only be forgiven because Jesus, the sinless one, took our sins, right? And we can only be accepted because of the righteous works of Jesus, not because of our righteous works, but because of his So while we look at Moses, we get to see down the line this beautiful figure of Jesus who, when he could have and probably should have rejected us, he reached out and embraced us and said, I'll take your sin. You can have my righteousness because I want you to enjoy the dwelling place with my father. That's what we get to see as we walk into this book of Deuteronomy. Now, As we approach the book, we got to remember it wasn't written to us. This book of Deuteronomy is not written to you. It was written to a group of Israelites long ago. It was written for us to be able to read. What did Moses mean to to that group of people? And once once we understand that, then we look for application from the eternal truths that still apply to our lives today. So let's begin in Deuteronomy chapter number one and verse number one says this in the ESV. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. I'm going to pause right there. 
There's a whole bunch of names that I'm not I'm going to skip over in just a second anyways. But, but if we can go back to the words, the words. In Hebrew, this was the original name of the book of Deuteronomy. It was not called Deuteronomy. Originally, it was called Debarim. In Hebrew, it means the words. It was changed to the name, the name Deuteronomy came along after it was translated into Greek. In the Greek, Deuteronomy means second law, deutero namas, second law. And we get that because of a verse, and you don't need to turn there unless you want to, but I want to show it to you. It's a verse that appears midway through Deuteronomy. Chapter 17, verse 18. Moses, again, is giving a speech. He's looking towards the future of his people in the promised land. And Moses says this, when he, talking of the future king, when the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, or it was sometimes translated the second law, approved by the Levitical priests. And so, Moses is saying the kings need to write down everything that I'm saying. They need to write it for themselves and keep it close. Now, if you, if you know anything of the story of, of Israel moving forward, there was this king. His name was Josiah, young child as he sits on the throne. As he grows a little bit older, Josiah realizes he follows two of the most wicked kings to ever live in Israel. One of them being Manasseh. By the time Josiah becomes the king, the temple to Yahweh is in disrepair. It's not being used. And he sends some people in to begin the work of repairing the temple. And they find the book of the law. I don't know where it was. I don't know if it was uncovered. But they find the book of the law. And one guy, well, one of the men walks to another and says, I found it. It's in 2 Kings 22. I found it. And he gave it to someone. And that person walks in before King Josiah and begins to read this book. The one that should have been copied. Josiah hears it for the first time. And when he does, he, he tears his clothes in repentance. He goes across the entire nation, destroys all the places of false worship that had been set up, and he restores worship to Yahweh. In fact, by hearing this book, it is said of Josiah that before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord to Yahweh with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might. And notice it says, according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. There's no king like Josiah whose heart was transformed from reading what we're about to go through. It's, it's amazing. And as king, Josiah valued the word of God. But then we also get this glimpse, this faraway glimpse of, of another king who's going to come, who's going to not just value the word of God, but who's going to put flesh onto the word. And what does it mean when it says the word became flesh? It means Jesus lives out everything that we're told to do. Jesus comes and he fulfills the very word and man, it, means that this is, needs to be really important to us. And that word has to stay central. 
I came across a quote this week. I'm going to show you the quote. Oh, I guess I'm not going to show you the quote. <laughs> it's blank. This is what it said. The word, that's my fault. I, I, I knew that. I didn't change it this morning. The word of, it says what the quote said. The word of God is a treasure map. That treasure map is the most valuable thing you have until you get to that treasure. Okay, so just think with me. You have a treasure map. That treasure is going to be the most valuable thing you have, but until you get to the treasure, the map is the most valuable thing you have because it's going to lead you to the treasure. And I, I sat there and I thought, I don't, I mean, I get it, but like, it, it, it's already led me to Jesus. Like, so what value does the word play as the map once I've found Christ? And I think many people probably do the same thing. Well, led me to Jesus. What do I need it for now? Because we need to go to Jesus every day. Right? We, we, need the, we need the treasure map to lead us to the treasure of Jesus Every day because we're going to very easily turn from the covenant that we've made to say, I'll do what you want to do. No, no, no I'm going to do what I want to do. And this treasure map leads us back to the treasure of Jesus. And when we see how much he treasures us, then our hearts are turned to treasure him. Man, so let this be valuable to you. Let me go back to Deuteronomy 1. It says, these are the words that Moses spake to all Israel. Beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, and again, I'm not going to read all of those, those names after that. Here's what we need to know about Deuteronomy. It opens and closes by an author other than Moses. Moses doesn't write the opening of Deuteronomy. Moses doesn't write the closing of Deuteronomy. And we know that because these words, beyond the Jordan, those only came into the life of Israel after they crossed the Jordan. So this is someone who's saying, and we find it again in verse number five, the same statement. Someone's saying, before we crossed the Jordan, when we were on that side of the Jordan, this is what Moses said to us. And we know that Moses didn't write the close of Deuteronomy because the close of Deuteronomy talks about Moses dying. And so he's not going to be able to write about his own death and, and all the things that took place. So, so we have somebody saying, this is what Moses taught us. Before we crossed the Jordan while we were in the wilderness. And look at verse number two. It says, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, a couple things that are important here. 11 days journey. That statement is meant to provoke the hearts of the reader. It's 11 days from Horeb. Now, if you don't know what Horeb is, it's another name for Sinai. Sinai is only used one time in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll see the word Horeb all the time. You'll see Sinai once. It's the same mountain. And what the author is saying is it, took, it takes 11 days to get from Mount Sinai to where we are right now. Kadesh Barnea. Verse 3. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11 month, 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that Yahweh had given him in commandment to them. So we take what we said in verse 2. It's an 11-day journey. And now we read what it says in verse number 3. We're in the 40th year, almost to the close of the 41st year. And this, again, is supposed to remind the readers what could have taken 11 days has taken almost 39 years. 
Because what we see in, in Numbers chapter number 10, and you, don't need to get, and you don't need to turn there, but I don't show you. It was in the second year after leaving Egypt, the second month on the 20th day, that the cloud lifted from the tabernacle and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. So second year, they're headed there from this point, 11-day journey from right here. But now it's almost 41 years since they left Egypt where they're arriving. And why? Well, I briefly mentioned earlier, it's because of the spies. The spies who came back and moved the people to believe that what they said was more valuable than what God said. They listened to the words of men instead of the words of God, even after seeing all the miracles Yahweh had done. Right? These are the people who saw the plagues, who saw the Passover, who saw the Red Sea, who saw the manna, who saw the water from a rock. They've seen God working. And when they get to the threshold and 10 men say, we can't, they say, we agree. And so God says, you're going to spend one year for every one day, those spies were checking it out. You're going to spend one year just wandering around until every single one of you dies. And then I'm going to take your children in. And this truth has Man, it's got to help us understand that our disbelief will not derail the blueprint of God. Like he made this covenant. This is the way it's going to be. But their disbelief and our disbelief can delay the very blessings of God. The promised land was going to be Israel's because God had said so. But it wasn't going to be that first generation's because they didn't believe in him. I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound critical in some ways of the way some Christians think. And I don't mean to. Our God, we should celebrate this. Our God is a God of grace. Praise the Lord that we have a God of grace. But that doesn't mean that we should always expect him just to pick up our pieces all the time. At some point, we should live a life that says we want to please you, not just a life that says I'm going to do what I want to do because I know you're going to accept me anyways because you're just a God of grace. You know, Paul says that in Romans. <laughs> what? Should we continue sinning so that grace will abound? Just because we know God is a God of grace, do we just live however we want to? No, no, at some point we should understand our God is such a good God. He is so gracious that, that our heart should say, we want to live in a way that pleases you, not just a way that says, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm going to do what I want to do because I know what you're going to have to do for me anyways. Right? It's all about relationship, right? Now, who wants to be in a relationship with someone that says, I know what you want, but it doesn't matter what you want. I'm going to do what I want because I know that whatever I do what I want, you're still going to take me. And that's how many believers, I shouldn't say many, that's how some believers treat God. I could do whatever I want to. I, th I, think, I think we missed the point. Let me go on to verse number five. Sorry. Moses says this. All right, we, we, what we read in Deuteronomy. 
Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. I'm going to pause right there. He says he's going to explain the law. It's not going to be until at the end of chapter 4 till he starts to talk about the law. He's going, to, he's going to spend a lot of time on their history. But he says, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, Yahweh our God said to us in Horeb, again, that's Sinai, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. So Moses begins his very first speech by returning to Sinai, and he said, remember when we were there? We were there for over a year. Now, why were they there for a year? Well, if you know, Moses goes twice to the top of a mountain for 40 days to receive the law. The first time he breaks it, the second time he brings it back down. That's still, I mean, if we were to be generous, it's still only about three months. Why stay so long once they had the law? Because Yahweh was doing a work. He had delivered his people from Egypt. He had taken his people out of Egypt, but he needed to take Egypt out of his people. He needed to do a work in their hearts. They were slaves in a land that had multiple gods, and the only value they ever saw in themselves is, what can I do? That's my value. What can I do? And Yahweh is teaching them, yes, you lived in a land of multiple gods, but I am the one true God that you need to serve. And yes, you were slaves, but I have brought you freedom. You're no longer enslaved like you were. You are my people, and I have brought you freedom. And your value is no longer in what you do. And I'm going to show that to you by telling you that you can't work on the seventh day. Instead, I'm going to provide enough for you so that even when you don't work, you have everything that you need. Yahweh was changing the hearts of his people while they were at Sinai so that they would learn to trust him and value this one to whom they had just made this covenant to say, you'll be our God and we'll be your people because you care for us. and You're the one true God and, and you provide all that we need. He was trying to teach them that. And at some point, he says, you've been here long enough. It's time. It's time to take possession of what I've been preparing for you. It's time to go. And I think that this is a message that a majority of Christians need to hear today. You have been in one place in your faith long enough. It's time to take another step. God has a place prepared for you that you need to get up from where you are. And go. Because there is something greater than walking into church every Sunday and finding your place in the sanctuary. Like, where am I going to sit? And that something greater is finding your place in the body. Where am I going to serve? Now, if you're part of this church family, I'm going to tell you two things that I know for sure. One, 
Jesus has a place for you in his body. And two, he will equip you to fill that place. I, I really think the Western idea, the Western understanding of Christianity, and I've said this before and I don't mean to like sit here on it, but like the Western idea of Christianity is show up on Sunday, sit, and then see you again next Sunday. No, no. We're a body. We're a body that is meant to serve one another. Like how is the world going to know that you're a disciple of Jesus by the way that you love and care for one another? This past week, I was, I was walking. I, a, a friend came to visit me, and I was walking, showing him around the, the church, and we were about halfway down. Chad, probably about right where you are. And he stopped and asked me the question that I get asked all the time right now. Hey, how's it going at your new church? And I told him the same thing I tell everybody. So here's what I say. I say, it's going great. I absolutely love it. But then I always say this, because I can see how God has prepared me to step into this church at this moment in time. Like I can look back over the last 10 years and I could see experiences, I could see growth, I could see studies, I could see all kinds of things that I have that have been happening in my life that the Lord has worked to say I've had I've had this place. It's in Plymouth, Indiana, and you're going to get it in September of 2023. You don't know it, but I'm preparing you for it. But here's the thing. You know what? I was comfortable in Virginia. I had family there. I have a son who's still there. We had lots of friends who were there. And it was not easy. My wife can tell you, we've shed tears, lots of tears, especially in the last couple of days as people that we loved have gone back. And, and, and it was not easy to say, yeah, we're going to start all over again. It was not easy to say we're going to go to a, the second time to a place where we don't know anybody. And this time we're, we're leaving our children behind. That would have been comfortable for me to say, nah. But this is where God wanted me. It's where he wanted us. It's where he wanted us to be together. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I'm so excited, but, but he doesn't do it for me because I'm a pastor. He'll do it for anyone who says, I want to follow you. You have a place for me. Open up that place and I will step into it. I want to tell you something. This, there are prayers, and I don't mean like the prayers of saints. I mean, there are people who know how to pray in here or who are growing in prayer here. This body needs you to be the prayer that you are. This body needs you to walk up to somebody at some point and say, put your hand on their shoulder and say, I'd like to pray for you right now. The Lord placed you on my heart. This body has encouragers, people. I heard a statement today saying, man, I'm so thankful. This pastor was saying, I'm so thankful for the fingernails in the body of Christ. The fingernails? He said, yeah, you know the people who come up and scratch your back when you just, you just need someone to touch you and you just need some relief and a reminder that I'm there and they just scratch your back to say, I'm here, I'm with you. Like, I said, oh, I, I love that. 
And there are some people that, that God has equipped to be encouragers and others who, who he's equipped to be teachers and youth workers and ministry leaders. And you know where many of those leaders are? They're in comfortable seats saying, nah, I'm, I'm good. And my encouragement to you is the same thing that Yahweh said to his people. It's time. It's, it's time. Put it off as long as you want to, but it's time. I get it. There's people who are growing. Understand that. There's people in need of rest. I understand that. But I would tell you this, and again, this sounds, sounds crude and I don't mean it to be, but I think Western churches are filled, forgive me, this is not a physical reference, but are filled with flabby Christians. It's not a physical reference because I'm a flabby Christian. I get that. But I'm just talking about people who say this. Well, this Sunday I'm going to take and take and take. Next Sunday I'm going to take and take and take. Next Sunday I'm going to take and take and take. And there's never an exercising of the faith because when they start exercising the faith, they start. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I haven't walked that, long, that, that far in my faith in a long time. Hey, God knows where you are. He knows what he's been preparing you to do. And so I would just love to encourage you. Let's get up and let's go and let's step into what God has for us. Can I ask you to consider this question? How long has it been since I have seen marked growth in my Christian walk? How long? If you say, man, it's been years, okay, hey, maybe it's time to get up and let's go. How long has it been since I've done something uncomfortable with my faith? I mean, faith, right? Faith doesn't mean I, I get it, I know it, I see it. Faith says, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to do it because it, it's what the Lord's asking me to do. <laughs> I, heard, I heard a couple of people tell, tell me last Sunday after the service when I said, go, go pray with someone that you don't know. I heard a lot of people say, oh, that was, that was not easy. That was uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I, I totally get it. I, but if we were become exercisers of prayer on a regular basis, then to walk up to someone, whether we know them or don't know them, and say, hey, can I pray for you? It's not going to be that awkward, but we've got to start somewhere, right? We've got to get up and start at some point. Jesus has prepared a place in this body for you. If you've stayed long enough, then let's get ready to go. And I know some of you are thinking, I'm too old for that. Right, Chad? Sorry, just not me. <laughs> Moses was 80 when God said, <clears throat> I've got a job for you. 80, 80. He's 120 when they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and he's like, I want to go. 120. Whenever God prods, he's going to provide. If he says, hey, go pray with that person, I promise you, he's going to provide the courage to do it. He's going to provide the words to say. You just have to be willing to obey. So in closing, here's my thoughts. Please read. Read the word. Make it central in your life. It's the, it, it, 
can transform your heart as we look at Jesus regularly. And then listen. I've changed my prayer life over the last couple of years from talking a lot to God to doing trying to listen more. And he already knows what I'm going to say anyways, right? I mean, it's good to say it, but I want to hear from him. So listen to the Spirit. And then as he says, let's go, let's follow. Follow with confidence and faith. This isn't blind following. It's confident. It's not foolish. It's, it's faithful. He has a prepared place for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's for you, not just for the next generation. Don't miss it. I love this church because I love the youth of this church. But because we have so many young ones, we have to understand moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas, those little eyes are watching. And if it's not important to you, will it be important to them? Talk about it. Speak about the word. Tell them how much you love Jesus and let them see you, not sit when God says it's time to go.